Good morning. Welcome to each one here. It's good to see everybody. Thank you, Dale, for the devotional. Might our motives be right? Um, I think a lot of maybe good things are done with wrong motives simply because we know we should or know we have to. Um, but is our, is our heart in it or isn't it? Um, so thank you, Dale, for that. Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to read a couple of verses out of there. It's not really my text. I'm going to be looking more into the book of Daniel later. But I want to read a couple of verses out of Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. It says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which, of the greatest, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first commandment, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The title of my message is Fully Committed. Um, and I want to look. Well, I read these verses in verse 37 is the verse that I kind of wanted as a key verse. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. In my mind, this verse speaks highly of commitment. It's committing everything, heart, soul, and mind, to the Lord. Um, it's, it's an all-in mentality. So we understand what commitment is. Um, if you have... A property and you need to have a mortgage on it, you have committed to paying the mortgage. You, you own this piece of property, but you're committed to paying the mortgage. Um, our job, we commit to showing up and we perform to the, to the degree expected. And when we don't, we know that there's going to be consequences of some sort. Um, they're, they're varying, I understand that. Um, but we, we understand commitment. We, we commit to something, we intend to follow through. At least we should. Most of us here have made a commitment to Christ. And my question is, how is it going? And we'll look more at that. Um, have you grown in the commitment? Or have some other things gotten in the way? We are either progressing or we're regressing. So we're either going forward or we're going back. We cannot stay neutral. So like I said, verse 37 it's, it's all in. Do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind? Let's go to the book of Daniel. I want to look at um, Daniel and his friends most commonly known, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure there were others, but these are the ones that are mentioned in the book of Daniel. And let's look at their commitment and commitments, multiple, and how much it meant to them. Um, I don't have a lot of literature on history that's not written in the Bible, so we aren't given a lot of information on the childhood years of Daniel. I don't know the the timeline of the, of the 
the kings very well, but I understand that he would have grew up probably in the reign of Josiah. Um, But he grew up, or very likely grew up in a God-fearing home, and he was taught the law. And like I mentioned, he was born probably when Josiah was king, and Josiah would have been the king that sort of sparked a revival. Um, found a, a book was found that I think it might have been, you know, I'm not sure exactly which book it was, I better not say, but um, kind of sparked a revival in the kingdom at that time. Um, but some, for some reason, his sons didn't follow after. It didn't last very long. But from what I understand, Daniel would have been growing up in that era. And then Daniel was, or Jerusalem fell. So I'm going to read read a a couple verses in chapter 1 of Daniel. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure, into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and Hananiah Shadrach, and Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And I'm going to read verse 9 yet, and I'm going to stop. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So I'm going to stop there. Daniel was about 16 years old approximately when Jerusalem was captured, and he was taken to Babylon along with some others. And he was taught the culture of the Chaldeans. So he was most likely in a godly setting prior and he was dumped into a heathen environment. Now he was giving, from what I understand, first class treatment, but um, the, the environment was ungodly. He was among the Chaldeans. And I want to, my main point is going to be looking at the commitment Daniel made that the three Hebrews made and then also Daniel again at the, towards the end of his life. But, but as I was studying this, I had to, I had to think. So, so Daniel developed these, commit, or he had these commitments. He decided he's not going to do these things. The first one we see is in verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart. So he had, he had a commitment. But how did these commitments, how did they develop? And I'll look at that a little bit first. First point I want to have is developing convictions. Um, so verse 9, we see Daniel refusing to eat the food that was possibly unclean meat. It doesn't, it doesn't describe it exactly, but possibly unclean meat, um, or it was connected to idol worship. 
And like I said, Daniel was probably around 15 or 16 from what I found when he was captured. So he was, he was pretty young. He was at a vulnerable age. He was dumped into a heathen environment. And how did he remain strong? Where did his convictions come from? Very likely it was his prior teaching while in Jerusalem. His godly foundation developed and it grounded his convictions for when he was older. So if we're going to be committed to something, we're going to have a conviction for it. So we see that Daniel purposed in his heart. But where did this come from? So he was, he was raised in a godly home. And that's what developed the foundation for, his, for later in life, for his convictions later in life that he held true to. And I was thinking of that, our world is very influential, and children are the target of many marketers. Various different forms, but it is to, it's to capture young minds, because, because young minds are the most influential. And if they can get the mind of a child, get, get it hooked on something, get it addicted to something, good chance they'll have it when it's older. It, various things, some are extremely wrong, some not so much, but... Um, that is a marketer's goal. It's often geared towards the younger, not necessarily always a child, but occasionally. Then there, and there are many things that we can shelter our children from. Um, we have the internet very accessible to us, and we have, we have ways of, of guarding that, and that's good. Um, but there are some things that we can't guard against, not totally, and one that we see a lot of is billboards. If you drive interstate highway of any sort, you're going to see billboards. And depends where you go, some billboards are very inappropriate. Um, some are neutral, you might say, but some have an agenda in mind, and they are out to capture minds. They are out to influence um, music, gas station music. I don't know if it's changing or not. I think it might be. But it's just there. Like, you can't really avoid it. Um, in stores, oftentimes, there'll be background music playing. Um, it's, it's, these are things, these are influences that we can't necessarily guard against. But what are we going to do about it? And this is not, I didn't have this message for child training of any sort, but um, it was just, as I thought of, of how Daniel developed these convi convictions, um, just had to think of, of the young minds. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It sounds like if you teach a child the right way, it's, it's set. But I don't believe it's saying that. It's, it's not to say that a child from a godly home never rejects God, but rather the teaching received will always be with him. Each person still needs to make their own choice. So we need to, as parents, we need to understand that um, our first responsibility is to teach a child in the way it should go, but then each child does need to make their own choice. But let's be diligent to set the foundation. It starts with the foundation. I don't know, I'm just kind of assuming, but, or maybe reading between the lines some, but Daniel was very likely given this foundation. Had he not been given this foundation, he would probably have been more or less just a statistic. He would have just been one of the others that got taken to Babylon, and we wouldn't know much about him. Um, but he wasn't. He was 
given a solid foundation, and that is what developed his convictions and he stayed committed to. We need to be continually instilling truth from the Bible into our children at a young age so they can develop a conviction. We cannot give somebody a conviction, but we can help them develop one. So teach, model, and encourage. So on to commitments. The, the second point I have is fully committed. It's the same as my title, but um, fully committed. And three accounts of Daniel or his friends revealing their commitment to God. We looked at the one already in verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore he requested to the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So there's one commitment. He had decided he's not going to eat unclean meat. Turn over two chapters to chapter 3, verses... 16 through 18, this is a very uh, familiar account. It is the big image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. They're required to bow, and the three didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is verse 16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. He, this is after they were, didn't bow, they were brought before the king, and he said, why didn't you bow? I'll give you one more chance at it. And this is what they said. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Again, we see a strong commitment. What kept them, um, what kept them committed? Uh, I would think prior teaching. And I'm going to look at maybe, maybe some other things, but I'm going to look at those, we're going to look at those a little later. And one more, another familiar passage, Daniel in the lion's den, chapter 6, verse 10. This is the morning after he's dumped into the lion's den. Um, Darius comes... No, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is after the other governors plotted against Daniel and tried to find fault with him. They went to the king, and the king signed a decree saying, you cannot pray to anybody but me, anybody to, but the king. So verse 10 in chapter 6 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled, down, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. There we have another strong commitment. Daily prayer. Daniel's daily prayer did not end when there was a law against it. So the three, the three accounts. He purposed in his heart in chapter 1, not bowing to the idols in chapter 3, and praying even with a law against it in chapter 6. In these accounts, it could have cost them their lives, especially in the last two. Um, they were... Actually, it was actually attempted to take their lives. Um, in chapter 1, the eunuch says how, when, when Daniel asked about being fed just vegetables, being on a vegetarian diet, not the unclean meat, um, the eunuch says that that could cost him his life. Um, but Daniel is 
is um, certain that that's what he wants to do. He's committed to um, obeying the law. So was it really wrong to eat the food offered to them that everybody else was eating? Uh, a few of a question on each of these um, accounts that we looked at of could, have they, could they have maybe compromised a little bit? Was it really wrong to eat the food that was offered to them? Um, they, were in, they were in Babylon. They were in a different area. Um, it's what was being offered to them. Everybody else was eating it. I don't think these four were the only ones there. Um, they weren't because it compares them later on to the ones that did eat the king's meat. So was it, was it really wrong for them to, to eat it? Um, the second account, bowing to the idol, and I've heard this talked about. Could they have bowed to the idol but worshipped God instead? Could they have simply said, you know what, we're not worshipping this idol, but we don't want to cause a, we don't want to cause a fuss. We'd rather not be thrown into the furnace. Could we just bow but pray to God? And then could Daniel have prayed in a more remote area where others wouldn't see him? Could he have still kept his daily prayers, but maybe been a little more discreet about it? Because, hey, there was, there was a law against it. It was illegal. So who, who does he um, keep his allegiance to? We recognize, uh, or they recognize the significance of their decisions and did not even want the appearance, the appearance of complying to sin to be over them. And I think that's very important to, to recognize um, there would have been maybe ways they could have gotten around it. At least we would be able to justify it, probably, if we wanted to. Um, but the appearance of them complying, they did not even want, they did not even want that. They were committed to their God, to the, to the true God. So we live in a time where um, acceptance in all things is really being pushed. Like that is, that's kind of the agenda. You, you accept what's there. You don't, you don't raise a fuss. Um, you maybe compromise here or there. And I believe it's either because of fear of man, and that has become probably one of the bigger things. Um, somebody getting all upset, pushing an agenda, um, fear of man, or the lack of commitment to God and to his word. Now the accepting all things does not stop with the church, which I, I um, see or believe the church has, is very guilty of this, but um, of, of, of being, being accepting, not, not committing themselves to God. Many churches do not really differ from the world's practices. Um, accepting whatever it might be, being willing to compromise. And we see compromise within, within an organization, or if you want to look at it at a church, I'm sure there's churches that you know of that um, maybe even 10 years ago looked nothing like they look now. You see compromise within it. And that's, that's alarming. But it starts with individual, individuals. Strong convictions prevent compromise. We have to be, we have to have strong uh, convictions. 
or compromising is not really going to matter. We will, if we're not totally committed to it, we're not going to keep it. If we don't think it's very important, if Daniel would have not thought that, the, that eating unclean meat, now that he's in a different area and, and hey, he's, he's 17 or 16, whatever he might have been, he's still young, um, no big deal. He would have ate it um, if he would have not have had a strong conviction. And along with the other accounts as well. So a few questions that we can ask ourselves. How committed am I to the Lord? Do I display the Lord, whether in conduct or speech, to others? Or would I rather blend in and not cause any questions or whatever it might be? Fill in the blank there. Um, Ridicule. How committed am I to the Lord? Do I display the Lord throughout my life, whether it's in... you can display the Lord, I believe, in without saying a word. Um, is, that, is that my life? Would I rather just blend in and not cause any questions or well, whatever that might be? So Mark 8.38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my word in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him, of him sh- also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. To be ashamed of Christ will cause him to be ashamed of us on Judgment Day. Uh, we understand when we stand before, before, the, before God on the last day, we have nothing of ourselves to um, justify us, but Christ um, in us, Christ's blood over us, God seeing us through Christ, we are justified. But if we are ashamed to portray Christ in our lives now to others, Christ will not stand in the gap for us at at judgment. I heard a story of a young Christian man, I say young Christian, he was also a a new Christian, hadn't been in the faith very long, and he was going off to college. I don't know if there was any areas, but it it was a secular college, and his parents were concerned that um, the influence was going to um, cause him to sway, to lose his faith because he hadn't been in it very long. But they, it was what they decided to do, and they sent him, and the parents were very prayerful, and um, the whole term went through, and he came home, and they said, hey, how, how did it go? Um, and the boy said, good, went great. And they're like, oh, that's good. He said, yep, nobody even asked me, and I didn't tell anybody. Nobody could even tell. And the parents were obviously disappointed because that's not what they had in mind. He hid, he hid his faith. He was not displaying it. I don't know how he conducted himself. The story didn't go on. Um, but he was obviously not willing to display Christ. He was obviously ashamed, at least to some degree, of his faith. Do we act like that? Do I act like that? Would I rather just move along? Blend in, continue. Am I committed to my personal time with the Lord? In order for Christ to radiate from us, we need to be taking in as well. Even Jesus took time alone to pray to the Father. And there's multiple verses about uh, uh, multiple verses on that, especially in the Gospels when they have um, repeating accounts. 
This one that I have written down here is Matthew 14, 23. It says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, so Jesus had just been preaching to the multitudes, he had been, he had been giving and giving, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when evening had come, he was there alone. Um, what I want to pull from that is, is, is Jesus, was, Jesus was giving. He was um, portraying God, obviously, um, preaching the good news, but he recognized there was a time that he needed to also be filled. Time alone, personal time with the Lord. Am I committed to that? I know it should be done. I do it sometimes, but am I committed? What are some things that could be robbing us from, be, from being wholeheartedly committed? And I just have a few here. There's obviously lots more. But could it be, the first one I thought of is priorities out of order. And we could probably agree to that. That would probably be one of them. And the next thing I thought of was, I think we call this busyness. But I don't think busyness is the core problem. We can make time for things that we really want. We really want to do them. We're going to make time to do them. So, priorities out of order. Could it, could it be that? Some time ago I had a conversation with a man. It was not a face-to-face conversation. I think it might have been over WhatsApp on, on uh, voice messages. So the conversations are a little limited there. But somewhere through the course of conversation, something got mentioned about going to church. And he would have came back and said that, um, yeah, he, he knows he should go to church more, but you know, Matt, I just, I just really don't have time. He said, that's Sunday's when I do my other stuff around home, and I, I just really don't have time. I know I should, but I really don't have time. He obviously was not committed, and I don't want to make it sound like going to church saves anybody. That's, that's not what I have in mind. But um, if he would have wanted to do it, if he would have wanted to spend time at church, he would, have, he would have found the time. I do understand busy life and the struggles to get everything done in a week or a day. Um, just for an example, one thing that I did was I, I, I got an, an Audible Bible app, and, and um, I'll play that while I'm driving. I know not everybody has that option, but I found that to be very helpful. I'll plug it in the stereo, in the truck, or anywhere it might be, and just have that playing, having, going through the Bible, whatever it might be, um, just having that in the background, uh, you have to concentrate when something's playing or you won't get anything out of it, and I'm sure you know as far as that goes as well with, with reading, you can read and not know what you read, same with listening, but um, I really enjoyed that, having that time just, might just be a few chapters a day, it might just be for maybe even just 10 minutes, but just having that, um, being able to absorb the word that way is one thing that I've um, been trying to do more of, committed myself to absorbing the word more. And one of the ways I feel, for myself to be able to do that is to be able to listen to it, to be able to sit down and read. Um, does not always happen outside of, of some devotion time in the morning because of a busy schedule. Other reasons to um, other reasons why we might not be wholehearted. 
Um, peer pressure. I know a lot of peer pressure comes in the teenage years. It continues on, but um, from what I know of teenage years, that is, there's a lot of peer pressure. And that in itself can tend to, to drive one away, to make you um, maybe lose interest so, and, or lack of interest, simply not really wanting to. Are these things robbing us of our, our commitments? Jesus has some harsh words for the half-hearted or the lukewarm. Um, the lukewarm church is a very um, well-known one in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3. Revelation 3 talks about the church of Laodicea. It is verse 16. It starts in 14, but verse 16, 15, I'll start. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Um, having just a... I mean, no, no, no zeal, no desire. The lukewar- their lukewarmness deceived them into believing that they were really a church of God, um, when really well, there was no growth and no zeal. And Dale talked in the devotional about motives, and I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's their motive was, it wasn't, wasn't there. It was they were just they were simply doing. They were lukewarm. They were not growing. And he says, due to that, he will spew them out of his mouth. And for the last point I want to look at um, is committed because. That's the, what I have for my point. Committed because. Why were they committed? We talked about how they were committed because of, of their, up, or they, their um, convictions were developed due to their upbringing. But why did they stay committed? And I believe they stayed committed because they knew the power of God. And they understood the power of God. I'm going to look at chapter 3 again. And the same verses that I had read earlier, 16 through 18. Um, I'll read 17 and 18 again. But if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So there they recognize that God has the ability to save them. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And they also recognize that God may not save them physically in this life. But they knew and they understood the power of God, the power to um, save them physically, and the power to um, bring, them, bring them to heaven. They, under, they knew that. And let's look at Daniel 6 again. Some other verses in that chapter, verse, uh, verse 21. And this is, now this is after Daniel would have been thrown in the lion's den the night after the king couldn't sleep and he comes running out and, and he says, I'll start at verse 20. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lament, lamentable voice unto Daniel and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions. Then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, 
that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. The Daniel's God was sent to the den, or the angel was sent to the den and closed the mouth of the lions. It doesn't mention that Daniel said that beforehand, uh, but I believe Daniel understood that God had the ability to save him, or he had the ability to take him, take him home. Uh, whichever he chose to do. So we serve the same God that the Hebrews did. And reading some of these accounts, Old Testament, New Testament, whichever it might be, um, these accounts, they're very powerful. They are they're obviously miraculous. And it's just kind of like, wow, that was, that was great. Um, but we serve that same God that the Hebrews did. David wrote in Psalm 56, 4, In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Not fearing what man can do, I feel, or fearing what man can do, rather, um, or will do, or might say, is often a big drawback to us. Matthew 28, or Matthew 10, 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We are not facing physical persecution, but let's not allow that to let us relax or grow indifferent to the need to stay strong. Uh, in our convictions, we still need to be um, developing a good foundation. Uh, we don't know if we will someday be tested in that area. Um, and if we are, we need to have a solid foundation that we can stand on if we're going to stay faithful. Um, yeah, like I said, we are not dealing with physical persecution, at least not yet. I'm not hoping for it, but obviously it is possible. And in some ways... I believe that has caused a lot of the lukewarmness. Persecution obviously um, brings it, it'll weed out the, the half-hearted. If you're half-hearted, you're not going to stay in it if it's going to cost you your life. Um, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not half-hearted. They knew it could cost them their life, but they, were convic they, they had convictions and they were committed. That's what they were going to do. And they would not um, sway from it. So while life is rather easy, um, let us be developing um, strong foundations. Obviously, we can't, um, we don't know exactly what, what it would be like to be um, threatened physically, but let's, um, while we're able to legally, to openly read the word, I was, one of the evenings I was studying and sitting on the sofa reading, and it was, I don't know, 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the evening, and I just, just crossed my mind, what if also my door would come, be busted down, and I'd be hauled off? Like, that doesn't even cross my mind. It's, it's not going to happen. I feel very safe in my house. But it has not always been that way, and it's not that way everywhere. So while we have easy street in being able to preach and learn the Word of God, let's, let's be doing that. So I just want to encourage you to commit to grow in your relationship with Christ. First of all, for yourself, that you can stand when the tests come. 
And for those who are following after us, there is a generation following that needs strong people ahead of them. So might we be encouraged um, to commit ourselves to stay strong in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for what you have done for us um, so far today, for allowing us to gather together. We thank you for the freedoms that we have. Lord, I just pray that we would commit our lives to be in devotion to you and that we would um, continue to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, help us to remain strong when tests come, when trials come, and if things should get worse, I just pray that we would um, have the power to stand. I just pray that you be with all of us the remainder of the service, be with the Sunday school teachers, and I pray that all that is said and done um, from here could honor and glorify you. We pray this in your name. Amen.